This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender, experience, and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 12. My guest today is Mercedes, who identifies as a cisgender Latino woman and prefers the pronouns she and her. Hello, Mercedes. Welcome to Your Own Voice. I am so pleased to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. So I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I identify as a cisgendered Latina woman. And I'm curious, what part of Latin America do you come from? What is your heritage? Yeah, my family is from Peru. And uh, I prefer the term Latina because it encompasses Latin America. And being born and raised in the United States, you are part of a, a community that I think is, is larger and more encompassing of the Americas. And so I, I do also consider myself Peruvian. Um, I am a dual citizen. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a term that, that I like to use that I think more represents what... Um, who I am, and and I know there's a there's a term Hispanic uh, that was actually created by a census. Um, so that's not actually a term that comes from anything um, or anyone in in the Americas. And so um, that's why I tend to to move towards Latina, uh, aside from some of those other terms. And what pronouns do you prefer? Yes, she, her, hers. When in your life? Did you first become aware of different gender roles? You know, I think that gender first appeared having... So Spanish is my first language. I'm just growing up around folks who, who didn't speak a lot of English. You know, as a kid, I uh, learned Spanish first. And so I think gender first came in, in the form of language. And gender appeared in... Um, because there's things, objects, um, not just individuals, but objects, things have a gender assigned to them in Spanish. And, and when you refer to they, you um, refer to the masculine, you default to the masculine. If there's one, even out of a hundred, you know, female things, if there's one male in there, including people, it defaults to the male. And so... I remember once when I was little asking my, my mother about that where I was playing with my cousins and only one of us was a boy and I, I used the female because most of us were girls. She said, no, no, no. She corrected me. And, and, I, and I asked her, well, why, why is that? Why, why would we? There's only one boy and we're, the rest of us are girls. There's like six, seven of us. And she said, because the male is the head, the man you know, is the one at the top. And so we default to, and to make sure we show deference to the male. And 
to my mind, I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But, you know, growing up, you start to actually see how those roles, um, you know, outside of just language uh, manifest. And, and so, you know, women, of course, in the kitchen and men watching football, right, soccer, and and uh, making sure that when meals are prepared, that men have food first um, before females. You know, you go and you serve your father, your grandfather, the elder man. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a really it was a really interesting contradiction because I saw that women actually ran everything. You know, so I you heard the men were the head and and all this. It really was my grandmother and my mother who were running everything, and that the deference went to them, that the decisions were made by them but not announced by them. And so, you know, I started at a very young age seeing those differences and seeing a lot of the contradictions and feeling um, feeling what it, what it meant to be of different genders. And, and so that, that's, I think, when I first started becoming aware of it. Did you talk about this with any of your family members, sisters or cousins? Did you share your thoughts or protest in any way? Yeah, you know, when when I was little, I was actually a little bit of a tomboy. Um, was a term that was used a lot um, when I was younger. I loved sports. I loved um, soccer. I loved um, not wearing dresses. I loved... Uh, Things that were, you know, I love cars and balls and and things that traditionally were associated with boys. And my mother fought me on this, um, thought that something would be wrong later in life if I didn't gravitate towards the dolls and the dresses and the frilliness and the pink and the all those all those things that were, you know, are traditionally um, associated with with girls. And and I think that. Um, those conversations and that pushback was the first time that I, I started to bring it up. And so having those conversations, I think that my mother in particular didn't understand how to navigate gender, didn't understand that gender, you know, you can consider, you can have a gender identity that is um, female or, or girl and um, still like different things, that you can have um, characteristics. I had a, a really, uh, I was very opinionated as a kid, you know, and, and my mother thought that that may mean I may not be able to find a husband. And so I think that, you know, those conversations, and still I think to this day uh, I have those conversations with my mother, and you can still, I can still sense the fear and what it means for her um, to not conform and not to, um, you know, those normative expectations that that we have of, of certain genders, that not conforming to them, what that may mean and what harm may come to you as a result. So in your current job, and I believe in past positions, you have worked on gender issues in your career. And I'm wondering, what in your personal life brought you to want to work on gender professionally? You know, from, from a very young age, I, I was very aware of, of gender roles, gender um, 
inequities, the the expectations that was were associated with with being of a certain gender, and I think that that really resonated with me as I started to move into social justice and and human rights issues, um, looking at what are some of the the root causes of. Um, violence, for instance, what, what's at this, these power dynamics that exist between genders, um, especially now, you know, having worked on gender-based violence for so many years, and, and looking at where um, the fact that there are so many more women, frankly, in, in the fields of, of human rights issues than there are men, at least in a lot of the offices that I have worked in, and starting, you know, to wonder, well, what what is driving this and what is behind this and and just starting to feel really strongly about about the issues and and um you know now I'm I'm the mother of two little girls and so I look at them and and think about how is it that I am helping to frame their world around gender around how they see themselves because one thing that I was acutely aware of growing up is that there weren't many people let alone women who look like me in um, leadership positions, in um, doing things that I would hope that I would be able to do, you know, whether it was a firefighter or whether it was um, a business person or whether it was in government. You know, there were teachers, but even teachers were all mostly white women. And so, you know, and those are the, the people that I knew with college educations, you know, the, the, the women that look like me cleaned houses, the women that look like me, um, cared for children. Um, so, you know, I think it was very important to me to, um, from a personal, um, stance as well to, to see myself and to create also that image for, um, other women like me, but also my, my little girls. And so that, that's something that has, um, been very, um, is, has been a real driving factor for me. What are the gender issues that you confront in your current workplace or is it a non-issue for you? No, I think a lot of the, the issues that I've raised, um, so I do work on gender-based violence. And so that obviously is, um, gender is very much present there and I think that so I'm specifically now um, very much focused on sexual violence and so at the heart of that is the Me Too movement um, and looking at how you know women's voices are, are being heard in a very different way um, but at the same time also acutely aware that transgender women and women of color not being heard within this movement in the same way that um, other women and so Gender, gender and race and, and those intersectionalities are really um, at play in my day-to-day -day work. And do you have conversations with your colleagues about these issues? Do you say to them, hey, we're not paying the same amount of attention to women of color and transgender women? And if so, how do they respond? You know, in... In my workplace, generally, they're they're very open, and they're very um, receptive to it. At the same time, it's still not reflected in our leadership. It's still not reflected in um, 
you know, for instance, uh, the website or um, outward facing communication. And so there are definitely folks who talk about it. And when it's spoken about internally, it's met with open arms. And so, you know, it is it is a little bit of a struggle in that sense, because you see it being openly received, but yet it's not yet reflected and and so it's um you know it's interesting because we have those conversations well why is that why don't we see transgender women in leadership positions why don't we see women of color in leadership positions um why don't we see um folk you know non-binary um folks who don't really associate with with one gender or another in leadership positions and so and why do we have such few men in, in this movement in leadership positions as well. And while there is a lot of baggage around that, I, and I know that, um, you know, just the diversity of, of voices um, amongst the gender spectrum is just not seen. And so with the exception of, of um, you know, typically white women, I don't, again, want to give, <laughs> say um, that I'm, I don't want to say anything bad about that either because I do have, you know, the white women in, in my life who have been um, colleagues and allies are some of the most amazing people um, I know. And so I just, you know, in terms of wanting to see diversity, I think that, that that's where my, um, that's what I'm looking at. I totally get it. And we have to have conversations that make people uncomfortable if we want to see any sort of change. People don't change if they're comfortable. It is just a fact of life. So earlier in our discussion, you mentioned the Me Too movement. And as you are quite aware, the conversation around gender has evolved significantly over the past couple years. What do you think is possible today, given this current conversation, that was not possible even a few years ago? Well, I do think, you know, the Me Too movement has opened so much up in in the ability to talk about issues like gender-based violence. I think that what wasn't possible um, a few years ago that is possible now is, is looking at something, at looking at the Us Too movement, um, which is the you know women of color responding to the me too movement and um a lot of folks well it depends on who you talk to will point to Alyssa milano as being the you know the person who started the me too movement but um there's a woman named Teron, uh, Terana burke who since 2006 has been using the term me too in advocacy in in awareness about sexual violence and and she is not credited often enough and um, she's a woman of color and she's a woman of color absolutely yeah. and and a wonderful activist as well and so i think that what was impossible was to have that sub conversation you know um to have you know again me too has millions of followers which is you know fantastic and wonderful and um us too has hundreds of thousands and i think that hundreds of thousands would not have been possible before that that conversation around gender and the intersectionalities of of race would not have been possible would have been seen i think as way too radical um because me too has allowed that to to be a conversation and so we can add to that conversation with us too 
and and so I think that that's that's what I think is is interesting. We can bring in those those intersectionality, um, those intersectional points like um, being transgender or being uh, a woman of color or um, other, you know, whether it's it's religious minority and and gender, how that plays. Uh, comes into play, and I think we can have more open conversations about that than we could before. So, Mercedes, you're the first person on this podcast to mention the Us Too movement, and I'm just wondering, for anybody that is unfamiliar with this, would you care to say a few more words about Us Too? Yeah, absolutely. Us too is is really a way to uh, highlight the role of race um, within the Me, Me Too movement and and the lack of discussion, frankly, around race um, and women affected by sexual violence. And so, um, oftentimes, and this is the case, I think, in in a lot of different spheres, that women have to scream on top of their lungs to be heard, and women of color, transgender women as well, have to scream even louder, which feels almost impossible to, to be heard. And, and so it's really bringing light to, to that fact that we, um, we give so much credit to uh, Alyssa Milano, which I also too am very grateful for her um, helping to popularize this, this term. But um, we don't give enough credit, I think, to Tarana Burke and, and women of color and transgender women who have really been um, phenomenal activists and leaders in this space. And, and they are screaming 10, you know, if we as women think we're screaming loud, women of color and transgender women are screaming that much louder and are not being heard. And, and so I think that it's, it's really... Uh, it's a movement that's trying to bring light to that and trying to recognize that. Mercedes, can you tell me about a time in your life when you thought, I can't do something, or if I try to do this thing, that the consequences would be so great that it simply wasn't worth trying? You know, I don't often uh, mention this, but... Uh... I've, I've thought, you know, maybe one day I'd love to run for public office. And there are so, you know, it's only been in 2018 did we first elect our um, a Latina woman to the Senate. And and to me, what, what scares me the most about this is, is the level of the scrutiny that I think comes with being some of those firsts. Um, and... That is that's really difficult. I think it's 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 is scared me to a point where I think maybe I won't do it because I don't want that kind of scrutiny. I don't want to be scrutinized more than my peers. I don't want to be um, held to a standard that is almost impossible. I don't want to be um, put my family through that. I don't want to have to compete with. Uh, the the expectations and this and this um, maybe disapproval of things that are outside of my control. Um, so those are definitely things that you know whether it's because of my gender or my race or the two put together, or 
because I don't come from a uh, very privileged background. You know, one of whether it's a combination of those things or one of those things, I think that it is difficult to think about how it is that you respond or you do a job when those things are, are um, being thrown at you. Is there some place in your life where you decided to push on anyway, even though gender expectations or gender norms told you not to? You know, I think I actually did more of that as a child than I have done as an adult, which is is kind of crazy to think about. I think that, you know, especially once I became a mom, I started thinking, okay, I have to do this and this and this, and because this is what's expected of of women, of moms, of working moms, and probably have not given myself the the uh, the space to be able to push back and and so you know, reflecting on this, it's it's really interesting because I think as a child, I. I push back a lot more and, and, um, questioned and, and, um, yeah, I just, just had those, those, uh, internal debates a little bit more than I'm probably doing as an adult. I think I do so in my professional life, but probably less in my personal life. That's, that's a really interesting question. You've given me a lot to think about, Amy. Is there something you'd like to see people in the United States start doing now to make a change around issues of gender? You know, if, if there's anything I can say is just talk about it. You know, what does it mean to you? What, um, what does it mean for your family, for your, um, how is your, your home um, talking about gender? How is it that... Um, your colleagues are talking about it. How is it that uh, you, you're thinking about it when you go to the store? You know, one thing that still really uh, gets me, uh, having had two, two children in the last five years, is, is how gendered all the baby things are. Babies know nothing about gender. Um, and wearing a blue onesie versus a pink onesie is not, you know, it doesn't, it, it helps us feel better about maybe where um, we see gender uh, gender roles um, and how they should be but but I think that you know if we can have that conversation why can't why can't a little baby boy wear pink why um, can't we have trucks on a little girl's t-shirt um, before they even understand gender why why is it something that we focus on so much uh, sp- particularly at such a young age we want to know the gender of our child because we feel like that is the defining factor of who they are but then they come out and they have all these wonderful personalities and likes and dislikes and um, and there's so much more to that than than their gender and and even then they don't, you know, they have a sex at that age, but a lot of times that when they're born, you know, their, their gender identity, um, for them hasn't been defined. And so, um, I would just say, let's talk about it more. Let's talk about why we do that to, to kids at such a young age, why we put these messages and why boys can't play with my little pony, um, or Barbies or dolls or whatever it may be. Um, I think let's talk about that. Why, you know, why can't we do that? Why can't we do more of, of um, gender-neutral um, 
images and and toys and and uh, clothing and you know especially when they're so small. So Mercedes, is there anything else you'd like to add, either a continuation of an earlier part of this discussion or something I haven't raised yet? So you asked me earlier what in my personal life had brought me to work on gender issues, and and one story comes to mind. Uh, it's when I when I was getting married. I actually got married uh, fairly young, about twenty two which uh, is young, especially around here. <laughs> and before I was getting married, my, my grandfather, who was a sweet old, but uh, sweet, sweet old man, he wanted to give me some advice. And I thought, okay, you know, this, this is interesting. He always had really crazy stories and, and uh, was always trying to teach us something. And, and so he sat me down and said, okay, so I have to talk to you about marriage and, and so that you understand the realities of it and, and so that you're prepared. I said, oh, okay, great. You know, this should be a fun conversation. <laughs> you know, what do you have for me, Grandpa? And he started to say, okay, well, when your husband hits you, it's for a reason. And I said, when? Yeah, okay. He said, so when your husband hits you, you have to think about what you've done and make sure you apologize and make it right. And I thought, okay, there's no way <laughs> this is happening. And, and what's interesting, too, is he was not a violent man. And I think that he just wanted to make sure that understanding that this is, this is the reality for women and this is not, you know... Uh, an uncommon occurrence, and it's not a, a bad occurrence either. And so when he said that to me, and, you know, he wanted me to, to repeat back, okay, what did you learn here? And I said, well, you know, and he said, so what do you do if your your husband hits you? And I said, well, I'm going to hit him back. <laughs> and he, you know, no, 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 okay, we're going to go over it again. And so we went over again again until uh, I think he just got frustrated. He's like, okay, we're just going to move on to point number two because clearly you're having issues and I'm going to talk to your mother about this. And and then the second one was, you know, if your husband has a child with another woman, don't worry about it because they're illegitimate. And I said, oh, okay, that's not how it works. <laughs> and... And, you know, of course, this was not anything based on his exper his particular experience, but it was one that he thought was important for me to understand about the differences in his mind between men and women and how that um, and what experiences we should expect in marriage um, were they to come up. And so that for me really resonated for a really long time. And I think that that's what led me to to look at gender-based violence and, and even domestic violence in particular because I started to think, well, if this kind old man is telling me, was telling me these things, how common is it? How much do we not know about this? And what, frankly, can I do? And so that 
that marriage advice, which in his mind went so wrong. And, and of course, um, my mother was like, Oh, you know, stop talking old man. You don't know. You know, they had this really playful relationship. Um, and he, you know, go, Oh, your mother doesn't know anything. Don't listen to, um, it, it really resonated with me because it just made me think, Oh my goodness, how, how prevalent is this? How, you know, how many people did not just my grandfather know, but my mother? And how many people do I know? And so that sat with me deeply. And and um, and so I started volunteering at women's shelters. I started um, doing a lot of work in that space without really knowing that that's the field that I wanted to go into. And so um, now looking back on it, I that was such a powerful experience, even though I look at it as, as kind of a joke or, or something funny that happened that, um, you know, got this really bad advice but, you know, from my grandfather, who was really, you know, well-intentioned. Um, but, but yeah, it was just, it was such a powerful thing for me. So I'm curious, as a Latina woman, how have you had to respond to or grapple with machismo? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get there, actually. Um, no, that's a great question. It has been a really prominent force in in, in my life. Um you know, growing up again and, and having these conversations with, with my mother about, well, why can't we default to the majority of, you know, the gender in the room in terms of talking about, um, us or, you know, nosotras is the, or nosotros because there's one male. Um, you know, I think that also from a very young age, I was, I was, push towards professions as well that would be considered appropriate for my gender um and and I think again not out of any ill intention but because this idea um that men should have um and hold certain positions um was really important that a man in a household was um at least needed to be made to feel important, um, that stroking male ego was an important way of making it through the world. Um, you know, I've had, I had wonderful conversations with my grandmother about what that meant. And, and I think back at this, the, my big fat Greek wedding where they say, you know, the, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck and she turns the head wherever, um, she wants it to go. And those were those were regular conversations, you know, growing up. Well, how do we make my father feel a certain way so that he allows and allows the emphasis there us to do certain things? What would, you know, make sure that my grandfather's ego is okay during, uh, make sure we say hello to him first, you know, um, so that, uh, he doesn't cause a kind of a, a scene as to why didn't you say hello to me first, you know, um, or get upset. And, and, um, so there was a daily conversation, but, you know, without, of course, mentioning the word machismo. Um, and then, you know, growing up the questions around, you know, my husband and I waited seven or eight years before we had children and the conversations with my family were, 
well, doesn't he want children? It was never about whether I wanted children. It was always about, well, what does he want? Is it, are you waiting because he wants to wait to have children? And, um, you know, what is it that you were doing to make sure that he's okay? You know, those were always the conversations um, around, you know, around my family. And then even um, having children, too, the question was, well, how did he do? <laughs> like, oh, yes, well, he wasn't giving birth, <laughs> you know, but, but he was fine. He was fine. Um, is he Latino? He's not. He's he's American, Anglo-American. Yeah, and so, um, so it was it was very interesting just because uh, you know just to have those conversations and him and I would always laugh about it and he of course would do what he thought would be best to you know support decisions that that I wanted to make in in ways that he knew my family would understand. So. Um, you know, I, I mostly wanted to wait to have children because of what it it does and, and the effects that it has for women in your in your career. And so he would say, No, this is you know, this was both of our decisions and yes, I support it, right? This is in so he was, um, of course, while I think he also cringed at that because he didn't want to have to say those things. I think that um that for me also made it easier because Machismo was so present. Um, in our interactions and you know and again and my family now I think is is more and more progressive but still you know you can see elements of of that playing into um, you know our relationships and the way that we we interact with each other and who cooks and who cleans and um, when we have large family gatherings and and so so are you seeing any changes in the younger generation Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, my sisters, for instance, um, well, my, my, uh, closest sister, she's a, she's a terrible cook, just terrible. I mean, she will burn a piece of toast if you allow her to do so. She can barely grate cheese without cutting her fingers. It's, it's kind of hysterical to watch. And so, um, you know, her husband does a lot of the cooking. And so there are a lot of now conversations about how there are so many, you know, the men that we married, that they cook, that they spend time in the kitchen. You know, my husband is very intentional. When we have family gatherings, he, he says, I'm going to the kitchen, you know, I'm going to help out in the kitchen. And so, you know, the, the other men, I think, of course, I'm sure thinking in their head, he's making us look bad. You know, what is he doing? Should I go in there and just like stand there awkwardly? You know, what's, what should I do here? But it's at least having them question, okay, me sitting here and just doing nothing is maybe not okay. And so, um, that, you know, that's a conversation we're starting to have. And, and, you know, again, my husband's so sweet, just says, go, go out and sit, have a beer, right? Just go sit next to, you know, your uncle, have a beer. I'm going to be in the kitchen right now. And so just to see, you know, and, and we start to have those conversations. And of course, my uncles are, what are you doing? Right? And your husband's in there. It's like, yeah, so let's talk about that. And, and so we see that, um, a little bit more start to change and, um, and especially to now how, uh, you know, I communicate with my cousins and how they write, um, an X at the end as opposed to an O or an A, which would be male or female at the end of, of certain words. And so, um, that, that's really great to see as well. Cause then you start to see it change in the language, which I think 
because it's at the root of culture and family that that it's really um, something that can cause a, a good amount of change. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think I just want to say thank you to you for having a podcast to discuss gender. You know, there, there's, it's such a dynamic issue and, and there's so many things that connect to gender that we just don't often have opportunities to, to talk about. And, and um, you've given me a lot of interesting things to think about just even um, in my own life. And, and so I just, yeah, I want to say thank you. I, I think the more that we can do this, the more that we can um, improve gender inequality. It has been my very great pleasure. Thank you so much for coming over. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm Amy Breslow. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org slash contact. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.